Good morning, everybody. I'm a, I'm a football fan. I'm just going to get it out there. So I am a little bit excited about the World Cup. I know it's sparked with controversy. There's not enough beer for some people. There's obviously lots of ugly side of things that, we're, you know, that are coming out into the open. The you know, human rights abuses, minority rights, all of that. But is anyone talking about the freedom of religion and belief in Qatar? Not really, no. You're not going to hear Gary Lineker talk about it. You're not going to hear the other football pundits talk about it. But we at Open Doors, we definitely are. We serve the persecuted church around the world, and it's churches like you, individuals like you, that help to bolster and strengthen our brothers and sisters around the world to help them. And what we're doing with the World Cup is to shine a light on the issue of persecution and religious liberty around the world. So Qatar, obviously the hosts in Qatar, there is no freedom of religion if you're a Qatari. Um, if you're perhaps a migrant worker, you can go to uh, an expat church. And uh, Open Doors, we've got a World Cup resource. They've all gone off the shelves, so you can't get a printed version, but you can go on our website and you can download a World Cup wall chart. Now, what is not to love about that? Print it off, put it up on your, on your fridge, and then for the next two weeks, you can be following the countries that are playing in the World Cup where Christians are persecuted. It's not just Qatar, there's six other countries. England play Iran tomorrow. Iran is one of the most dangerous places to be a Christian, and we'd love you to pray. Love you to pray when they play. So go and check that out on the Open Doors website, opendoorsuk.org forward slash World Cup. You've also got a card, hopefully, near you on your seat. Now, we would love you to pray and journey with the persecuted church. Why do we ask you to do this? We ask you to do this because we're family, aren't we? If you love Jesus here today, you have brothers and sisters across the nations. Family really is bigger than biology. Last night, I spent some time with a lady called Tiram, an absolute hero from northern Nigeria. She's one of the brave Christians there who dare to follow Jesus no matter the cost. And she said, Emma, we're sisters. You're more my sister than my biological sister because we will share eternity together. And I just want to throw this out there to you today. If you're a Christian, family really is bigger than biology. And we would love you to connect with your persecuted church family around the world. Your prayers, bolster them, encourage them, encourage courage in them to keep going. And you know what? There's so much coming back to you as well because the stories of courageous faith show me, show us, what it's like to follow Jesus faithfully. Perhaps we feel like we're swimming against the tide somewhat as Christians here in the United Kingdom. We've got brothers and sisters around the world who swim against the torrent and they faithfully follow Jesus no matter the cost. And we need to stand with them. So I'd love it if you would fill out this card if you don't yet pray regularly for the persecuted church. Be informed. And then have your faith stirred and challenged and inspired as well. I'll be just out there. You can sign up for emails. You can sign up for postage, stuff that's post postal mailings as well, that kind of thing. Be inspired and connect with your family around the world. It really, really matters. And as a thank you, you get a thank you for doing this. We'll send you a book, a book that changed my life when I read it when I was 18. It's the story of Brother Andrew, God's smuggler, the founder of Open Doors. He recently died. But I tell you what, it's a story about going on an adventure with Jesus and seeing what God can do when you just take a step of yes and are obedient. So fill this out. Come and see me. I love talking to people. So, you know, just come and make sure I'm not on my own and uh, give me that card. We'd love, love that.
and make sure you get your World Cup resources as well. Well, you've been doing a series on the on Matthew 5, and this whole idea of you've heard that it was said, you've got to the sixth one, so well done, everyone, well done. And I think today we're going to learn something from, obviously from Jesus, but we're also going to learn something from the persecuted church. So we're going to take, take some inspiration from them. So I'll weave some stories into, into what I say. So forget the Simpsons, forget friends and loose women, we're coming to this. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to open it, whether it be on your phone or church Bible, or if you brought a Bible with you, let's keep it open. Ruby and Salome lost their husbands on the same day, in the same attack. It was in 2019. In the hours, weeks, and months that followed, they were convulsed by the atrocity that had left them widows, that had left their daughters without a father. They went numb. They felt completely let down by God. They felt consumed with hate. Their husbands were butchered by Islamic militants in northern Nigeria. Sadly, this is all too common. Nigeria is the seventh most dangerous place on earth to be a Christian today. Hard to believe when over half the population, particularly in the south, is Christian. Every day we estimate at open doors that 12 Christians in Nigeria are killed for their faith. Every day. Think about that. We're nearly halfway through the day today. On average, 12 Christians are killed for their faith. Ruby and Salome's husbands were two of them. About six months after they lost their husbands in the tragic killing in in their village, I met Ruby and Salome at a trauma center run by Open Doors Partners in northern Nigeria. They were angry. You could see their their grief was written all over their faces. They, They... They they were just full of it. And in fact, they didn't want to be there. They made it quite plain that they'd only come because their pastor had made them come. So this is how we met them. And they said, "If, if you start talking about forgiveness, if you start talking about loving our enemies, we're going to be off. We're going to be home. But over the course of a few days, something began to change in them. And you've got to just say, it was Jesus that was at work. So over the course of a few days at the trauma center, Ruby and Salome began to share their story of of pain. They shared their heart wounds and they wept. And perhaps for the first time, they were genuinely listened to. There was no shame or stigma here in that trauma center. And so they began to move from a, a place of hate to forgiveness. Now Jesus warned his followers to expect persecution the cost. That's what we read in the Gospels, isn't it? The cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. But he also offered a radical response to it. Instead of fighting fire with fire, we as Christians are supposed to put out the flames of persecution and suffering with love. Now, I don't think that is just a message for those facing extreme persecution. It's a message for us today here in Winchester as well. So let's look at the text for a few minutes together. Verse 43, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said. So this is the sixth time in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says this phrase. And as you've seen, if you've been tracking with this series, that Jesus is making a stark contrast between, between what God wants the people to know and practice as followers of the way of Jesus and the traditional accepted form of Judaism taught by the religious scholars, leaders of the day. 
And Jesus takes it all on, doesn't he? He comes to it and he's basically saying what, what had come to become to be the sort of interpretation was way off, way off. So what we see is that basically verses back in Leviticus are taken out of context and, and a different interpretation has come. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is really coming back to the basics, isn't he? He's coming back to the central vision of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And it's this, is that we're to love God and we're to love others, even if they're our enemy, even if we despise and hate them. So this definition of loving your neighbor over the course of time and a long period of time had narrowed. Somehow loving your neighbor had morphed to mean this, that you liked those you lived by. They were your neighbor. Or people like you, they were your neighbor. Everybody else outside of that defined set group, you could dislike, you could hate, you could regard as your enemy. Now, when Jesus said these words here in Matthew 5, verse 43 and 44, it is absolutely a mic drop moment. Maybe for us, we don't fully get the the full meaning of it, but for them, it was a mic drop moment. Bear in mind that those first listeners to the Sermon on the Mount, they were living under Roman occupation. 70 years since the Romans had first invaded, there was no sign of it ending. The military might and prowess of Rome was fully on display. You lived as a person that was occupied. Times are hard. Like, we talk about the cost of living crisis now, but these people were living a hand-to-mouth existence. Everywhere they went daily, they were reminded that they had an enemy. It was real. And this is the backdrop. And you suddenly hear Jesus say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So verse 44, Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Maybe clock there the present tense. It means you consistently and you constantly love your enemies. There's no stopping. It's got to continue. And for us today, maybe it's hard for us to imagine the extent of an enemy that Ruby and Salome felt. We don't face extreme persecution. But I'm sure there's been times in our lives where people have really hurt us where they've said words over us that really hurt, or someone has bullied you, picked on you, those kinds of things. I mean, maybe on a very trite level, cut you up on the road and you think they're an absolute idiot. In that moment, they become your enemy. Maybe you struggle to like the people who are different from you. Again, on a trite level, people that support a different football team to you. On a national, global level, people that like different political parties to you on a global level, the structures, the systems in our world, the evil powers. It's quite hard to like FIFA, isn't it, at the moment? You know, that kind of thing. But actually, as Christians, we're called to love our enemies. We're called to love those who are different from us. So how do we do this? How do we start loving our enemies? How do we start making those who are different from us our neighbor, our neighbor? Well, it's not easy, is it? At all. I've got a 10 year old daughter, Evie, who is struggling to like a, fr- like a friend in school. Basically, this friend called Evie a name, and it's really got to Evie. And I thought we were making some progress the other week. I thought, wow, this is it. We've been praying for, for this girl, Evie's heart to change. And, uh, you know, then Evie was like, no, I really do hate her. I don't like her. So, uh, a work in progress in my household for sure. And maybe some of us think it's not easy, it's downright impossible to love 
your enemy. That's how Ruby and Salome felt when they came to the trauma center there in northern Nigeria. Just got a couple of points that I want to unpack with, with us today. Now, I think when it comes to loving our enemy, when we try to put this into practice, this teaching of Jesus, this reframing that Jesus does, this flipping the rabbi's teaching on its head, it requires your head and it requires your heart. In fact, it requires all of you, every shred of your being. So first of all, we're going to start with our head. Now, the word for love, love your enemies, that Jesus uses here is the word agape. And it's not the fuzzy sort of Hollywood, gushy, sentimental kind of love. It's a love that hurts. It's a love that requires choice over feeling. You know, when you just cannot feel in it, you make a choice, an act of the will, an extreme act of the will. This is why I think actually this journey of loving your enemy of forgiveness requires your head. But more than that, it requires you to say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. Like naturally, my daughter's reaction isn't to suddenly like this friend that said something mean to her. It's going to require Evie praying about it and requiring Jesus to do some work in Evie's heart to soften her heart. And actually, when it comes to this hard stuff, because it is hard stuff and it can feel like it's just not easy or just the weight of it just feels impossible, we need to say, Jesus, I need your help. I need your spirit in me, your grace to be at work. And this is why I say it starts with your head because it requires you to say, I'm going to say yes to, yes to you, Jesus, no matter what. And partnering with God, partnering with God in it. This is a love that means that you partner with God in loving your enemy because you can't, you can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own and God knows that. I was uh, chatting to my friend Tiram from northern Nigeria about this, and she's a trauma counselor, and she spoke, speaks about the fact that, that the journey to forgiveness, radical forgiveness, loving your enemy, is a process. It takes time. She describes it as a journey from going one village to another village to another village, and she said sometimes on that journey you might go back to a previous village, and you know what? She said, that's okay that's okay because you're still making progress. You're still making progress. And that's what we see for believers in northern Nigeria who are losing their loved ones, losing their limbs, losing their homes, having their churches burnt to the ground. They're on a journey of forgiveness and inviting Jesus into that journey and saying, Jesus, we can't do this on our own. We have to partner with you in it, but we keep going. We keep going. So loving your enemies requires your head. It requires all of you. And it requires you saying, Jesus, I'm making this choice, this, this decision, and I need your help in it. Secondly, it requires your heart. It requires your heart. And Jesus goes on to say, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I think when you pray, you're taking up that posture of giving Jesus your heart, aren't you? Your heart, every part of you. Maybe you've heard the phrase, prayer changes the prayer. It's a bit of a well-worn cliche, but I think it's absolutely true. Prayer changes the prayer. Because something happens that when you begin to pray, and maybe at first you don't have the words. You don't have the words, particularly with, on the extreme scale of sort of hurt that you might feel towards someone else have no words, but actually we come, don't we, with our groanings. 
and God intercedes on our behalf. But it's adopting that posture of prayer and just coming before God and saying, I've given you my head. I'm giving you all of me. Help me to partner with you in this, Jesus. So prayer changes the prayer. And what we find oftentimes, and this is what Ruby and Salome found, that when they started to give their anger and their grief and their bitterness to God, that actually they experienced a real release in their hearts, that they were set free from so many of those emotions. And they too began to go on a process of healing and restoration that couldn't have happened unless they'd actually really started to pray about it and start to give Jesus their heart in that situation. Pastor Sheenath is from Sri Lanka, and his church know this story full well. They have lived with persecution. They have lived with an enemy around them. And um, a local Hindu mob tried to shut down their church. And uh, the police actually ruled in the favor of Pastor Sheenath's church, reminding the community that Christians are permitted to meet for worship under Sri Lanka's constitution. As you can imagine, this really ticked the, the mob off. And as they left the police station, they angrily shouted, we will solve this problem our way. And they stormed out of the police station. A few Sundays later, one of the church members, Kumar, was on his way to church when two of his cousins pounced on him and began to attack him. Then the whole mob joined in. At this, Kumar's wife and two other women tried to go to his aid. But they too, in the end, were badly beaten pelted with rocks and stones and rubbish as well. The church was really rocked by this. They could see that their enemy was kind of turning even more against them. Now, seven months after this incident, something called COVID-19 broke out, and this pandemic really hit the island of Sri Lanka hard, and the government forced an island-wide lockdown for over a month. Now, the villages in Pastor Sheenath's community were very poor, and uh, they were beginning to go hungry. They were beginning to starve. Now, Pastor Sheenath and his church had been praying to God that they would be able to love their enemy, those who were treating them badly. And so when they saw this need, the plight of their community, they decided to step in. They decided to step in. And they made contact with Open Doors, and Open Doors were able to provide Pastor Sheenath and his church with relief for over 100 families in this village. As you can imagine, the villagers were deeply moved. They were stunned that the church would so show so much love and compassion and generosity towards them. And Pastor Sheenath says this, doing what we did gave us more opportunities to share the gospel and show the love of Christ to people. More people are eager to know the Lord now. Even the local government representative in the village has changed his attitude towards the Christian community. Prayer changes the prayer, doesn't it? Prayer changes situations. It changes hearts. And what we so often see that when you come before God in that posture of prayer and you begin to pray, even if you have no words, that actually then leads to that domino effect. It leads to other courses of action. And what we see in this story of that church in Sri Lanka is that compassion and generosity and kindness for their community began to win people over. So prayer changes the prayer. In verse 45, Jesus says, so he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We're to pray, because if we know and love Jesus, we're a son 
we're a daughter, we're a child of God. That is the very reason that we have the right and the access to pray in the first place. But we become more like him, become more like him. And then in verse 48, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You know, the end goal of our lives isn't to accumulate status, wealth, popularity, the trappings and comfort. Actually, no, the goal of our life as a Christian is to become more like Jesus, to have our character formed and shaped, to become mature, to become godly. Now, that's a bit of an old school word, isn't it? But we are to become more godly. We're to become more mature in our walk with Jesus. And you know what? How you stand in relation to your enemy, how you love and live like Jesus in hard circumstances, in the grind and the grit of it, is almost the great litmus test to how you're doing in your discipleship, how much you love and live like Jesus. It's challenging, isn't it? It's really challenging. And the persecuted church show us that it's possible to love, to have extreme faith and love in the midst of great cost and persecution. So where we stand in relation to those who hurt us, who we despise, who we feel have really let us down, is a great litmus test in how we are walking with God, how we are growing deeper in our maturity with Jesus. And also, when it comes to the persecuted church, when they pray for the courage to pray for their enemies and to pray and love their persecutors, we have a part to play in that. Because actually, maybe you think today, I don't really have any enemies. I might just have someone who ticks me off now and again, but I don't really have an enemy. And maybe that's hard sometimes for us to relate to. But if you're a Christian here today, your brothers and sisters around the world in over 60, 70 countries who have enemies, who are despised. And because of that, in a sense, you have an enemy too. And you're called to pray. You're called to pray. When I was talking to my friend Tiram last night, she said to me, she said, can you pray that we will love our enemies, that I will love those who persecute us? And she said, it, when you do, it's, it's like this picture. She said, you know, we're, we're part of the body of Christ. And she said, we in Nigeria, we're like the injured, wounded foot that's bleeding. And you, as Christians living in freedom, you, Emma, you here today, she said, it's like you come alongside and you take care of that wound. You take care of that wound, you soothe it. So when we pray for them to love their enemies, it's just as if we were praying for our enemies ourselves. Just really want to encourage you in that. You help them to stand firm. You help them to be more like Jesus. You help them to take Jesus' words seriously here in this passage. So the challenge to all of us is to love Jesus well, to love our neighbors well, to love our enemy well. Whoever person, we, whoever the people are that we meet, we're to love them well. And sometimes that is not easy, is it? Sometimes it might feel impossible. But like the persecuted church, let's take these words of Jesus seriously. Let's learn from him. Let's, let's live them well. And let's give everything, every part of our being to Jesus, our head and our heart. At the end of the trauma program in northern Nigeria, when I met Ruby and Salome, there's this forgiveness ceremony. Now, as, as we've said, this, this journey of forgiveness, this journey of loving your enemies, it's a process. And at times you will probably go back to those various points in the past, but you keep moving, you keep going on the journey. But at the end of that week, Ruby and Salome were able to stand up 
and they were able to say the words, I forgive, I forgive. And you could see quite, quite visually, tangibly, the anger, the weight of the anger and forgiveness lift from them. They felt release. They felt Jesus present and fully at work. And then at the end of this ceremony, as they, as they sort of took their pain to the cross, and that's what we're called to do as Christians, isn't it? Is to bring all that troubles us, all that grieves us to God, the people that grieve us. They sang the words of an old song, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. When we connect with the persecuted church, when we hear these words of Jesus, their testimonies transform the words that are so easy to say, transforms the cliche, and it gives it real power, depth, and meaning. And they show us that it's possible to live and love like Jesus, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. I'd just love to pray. Father God, I thank you that we don't do this life alone, that we have your spirit with us, we have Jesus with us, that Jesus is for us and with us in all that we face. I thank you for the promise of scripture that says that when we go through the fire, you'll be with us. When we go through the water, you'll be with us. And the waters will not overcome us, the flames will not set us ablaze. And today as we think about our brothers and sisters who face the fire of persecution, we pray that you'd strengthen them. We pray that as they feel those wounds and as they feel broken and battered, that they'll really encounter you, Jesus, today. And then maybe as we pray for them, just that encouragement, peace, joy, and comfort will be theirs today and that they'll just feel that encouragement that they're not alone, that they're not alone. And we thank you that so many persecuted Christians want to say that they will love their enemies, even though it is not easy. To do so. We thank you that you've given them a love that costs and that they get to partner with you in that. And we pray for their strengthening. And we pray for ourselves today, Jesus, that you'd help us give you our hearts and our heads, the whole of our beings, and to be, to be people who are just faithful to you, that will follow you no matter what, whatever circumstances we face. May we be strengthened and know that, Jesus, you're with us, that you never fail us, you never let us down. Amen.